Heavenly Father, um, thank you that you are a God who has spoken. Uh, you have spoken into this world, this um, fallen world that has turned away from you. All of us have. Uh, thank you for your um, uh, speaking in through your prophets and apostles into the, into the um, world with uh, the news of who you are, your great unfolding story, your plan to uh, redeem us, to save us from our sin and to bring in uh, a cosmic renewal. Uh, thank you that all this takes place in um, Jesus Christ, and we pray that today we would learn more about him, uh, see more of his glory and all that you've uh, accomplished uh, in and through him. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Heather. Good morning, everyone. Uh, today's reading comes from Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptising, he said to them, "'You brood of vipers!' Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptise you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfil all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Thanks, Heather. Uh, well, it's great to be back in Matthew's Gospel uh, and great to be back here. If this is your first time back uh, at Investigator, 
welcome to you. Uh, welcome to visitors as well, of course. Uh, but if you're a local, you'll know that uh, around this time every year, we start to get used to seeing uh, a particular kind of clothing, uh, or clothing that's made of a particular kind of material. It's the lycra, the lycra kind of descends on Victor Harbour uh, around this time every year as the tour down under um, sort of takes over the town. Uh, and uh, lots of us, uh, well, depending on whether you like bike riding or not, perhaps you just hide away, or maybe you go out and uh, watch the race go past. Anyone enjoy going out and watching the race? Uh, there's a few hands up. Yeah, I've been out a few times. I kind of like going out and watching it. Uh, it's such a huge event. So it takes months of preparation. Uh, and I'm always, uh, one, but one thing I'm always amazed about at the day is how many vehicles go along with these bikes. There's just vehicles everywhere. And there's a, there's a particular, if you've ever been there waiting in the crowd and you're sort of waiting for this uh, few seconds to see the rider go past, uh, there's a particular, you'll start to see something like this. Should be a picture on the screen. Uh, long before any of the riders actually appear, you get these motorbikes coming past with flashing lights and sirens. Uh, they're telling everyone to get ready. Um, they're telling you to pay attention. <laughs> they're, they're saying, listen up, the, the moment's here. You've been waiting, you've been waiting, you've been waiting. <laughs> and sometimes you're waiting. Like some people get there right early in the morning, right? So they're waiting all day. But the moment is about to come. It's almost here. Well, that sense of anticipation for the big moment about to arrive has been all through Matthew's Gospel so far. Uh, if, you, um, if you remember last year, if you were with us then, and we looked at the opening chapters of Matthew's Gospel, um, if you remember that, uh, Matthew's been telling us over and over again that what, what he's writing about is nothing less than the fulfilment of all of God's plans, the fulfilment of all the hopes and promises of the Old Testament the moment that all history has been straining towards and looking forward to. And so that, that sense of anticipation and preparation that's been sort of building through those first couple of chapters, it all comes to a head here in Matthew chapter 3. It all comes to a head with this arrival of this bizarre figure, John the Baptist. Another picture. Not sure if this is actually how he looked, but... Uh, is this, he's a kind of bizarre figure that appears. Uh, and and what, what John the Baptist is like is he's like, it's like he's the, that motorbike going ahead of the peloton. Uh, he's like that, the motorbike with flashing lights telling everyone, it's coming. It's coming. It's almost here. And he goes into the wilderness and he starts preaching. He starts preaching and it's a pretty simple message. You can see it in verse 1. He starts going out, he goes out in the wilderness, he starts preaching, repent, repent. Now, repent is probably what I'd have to do if I ever entered a bike race, uh, not just because I'd get creamed, but because I have what you might call an underdeveloped sense of direction. Uh, so more, more than likely, I'd take a wrong turn somewhere uh, and end up some random location, and I, I'd eventually figure that out and I'd have to chuck a U-E. I'd have to do a U-turn. Uh, that's basically what repent means. It's to do a U-turn, to change your direction, to recognise you're going the wrong way and to, to chuck a U-E, to turn back, to turn back, to turn around. And John gives us a reason why he's calling people to do this. He says that if you keep reading, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
the kingdom of heaven, other places in the Gospels, it gets called the kingdom of God. It's the same thing. It's a way of talking about the perfect and uncontested rule of God. Uh, the, the king is coming. God is, God is coming to reign, John's saying. And so he says, repent. So maybe, maybe a better image for John is he's like a herald announcing that the king is coming, announcing that royalty is on the way, getting everything ready for him. Uh, they say, I don't know if you've heard this, they say that everywhere the queen goes uh, smells of fresh paint. So um, apparently all the queen smells constantly is fresh paint. You get the picture, right? Uh, every detail is getting into, uh, is, is, goes into extreme preparation and every wall uh, gets a fresh coat of paint. But you get a pretty clear sense here. Um, uh, that, that's a big deal if the Queen comes to visit. This is the biggest deal, the moment history's been waiting for, but you get a sense that it's going to be a pretty different royal visit. Um, totally different from that. The King's messenger is wearing smelly, uncomfortable clothes. He's eating gross food and he's wandering about in the desert. Um, what's going on there? Well, it's not just that John's a little bit out of the box, although I reckon he probably was. Uh, there's something, actually, there's something much deeper going on with uh, how John is, what John's doing here. He, he's actually doing all of this intentionally. Um, verse 3, Matthew fills us in on that. He, he quotes from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, which we've uh, looked at earlier or last year, and we're going to return again to, um, God willing, later this year. Uh, but Isaiah 40, uh, which we didn't look at last year, but Isaiah 40 tells of this coming kingdom that John's talking about, this time when God himself would come to lead and comfort his people and renew them. And Isaiah talks about this voice calling out in the deserts, in the wilderness, who would prepare people for the king, for this Lord who would come. So that's who John is. He, he's the voice in the wilderness but even his clothes in verse 4 are significant that you read about. Um, so his Isaiah's voice calling in the wilderness, but even the way he dresses is important. Right at the end of the Old Testament, the very last book, the very last chapter of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, uh, he talks about this same, uh, this same moment of God's kingdom coming, and he talks about it just from a different angle. He talks about the, uh, he, he talks about the great Old Testament prophet Elijah, Lots of names being thrown around here. But you've got Malachi, who was, uh, is the last prophet in the Old Testament. He talks about Elijah, who was a prophet much earlier than him. He talks about this Elijah-like figure who would return um, and who would prepare the way for God to come. He would prepare the way for the Lord. Uh, anyway, and here's, here's how the original Elijah gets described in the Bible. You can look up later if you want, 2 Kings chapter 1. But the original Elijah... Uh, is described like this. He had a garment of hair and a leather belt around his waist. So you see what John's doing here, what's, what's going on? He's kind of tying all these things together. He is this Old Testament figure that's been talked about. He is Isaiah's wilderness voice. He's, Elijah, he's Malachi's prophet Elijah. Uh, he is the herald announcing this incredible, unique moment preparing people for the coming of God. Uh, but the preparation 
What's it, how's it, what, what does the preparation look like? It's not organising a state dinner uh, like you might do for a, a visiting royal. Now, the preparation that's needed is in people's hearts. If the king is coming, then repent. Get real. Get honest. <laughs> Drop your kind of posturing and self-justification. Uh, recognize, recognize, really, how your life doesn't match up with his reign, his rule. And chuck a yui. <laughs> Repent, turn around. The road you're on is setting you up against the king, in opposition to him. And John says, his kingdom's near. So it's urging anyone who'll listen to him, turn around. Repent. And as you read on, do you notice heaps of people are listening to this? They take this call seriously. In verse 5, people are coming to him from all over. Uh, they're doing what John's calling them to do. They're repenting. They recognize. Uh, to repent means, uh, it, it, it means you recognize that there's not just darkness out there. We all know there's darkness out there. To repent means to recognize actually there's a deep well of darkness in here. Uh, and they recognize that. That's why they come confessing, admitting their sins. They're broken sinners who, who need help uh, and they need a fresh start. And so they come to John and they confess their sins. They do what he's calling them to. They repent and John baptizes them. He gives them this symbolic washing. That's what baptism is. It's sort of an, an outward washing that points to an inward spiritual cleansing a fresh start it's like an initiation ceremony into a new identity um but so that's all, all, all this this crowd is coming out this incredible massive crowd confessing their sins being baptized joining themselves to this new community that john's forming but there's another group here right uh, who aren't really interested in confessing their sins uh, the religious leaders come, the Pharisees and Sadducees. And you notice uh, they, don't come to, they come to where John is baptizing. They don't come to be baptized by John. They're, they're there just to check him out. They've heard about this crazy preacher in the wilderness. Uh, and they're just there to, to check him out, to keep, keep an eye on him. But they don't get too close to him. Uh, before John, do you notice this? He just lays into them from afar. They're on their way. He sees them coming, and he calls out, You brood of vipers! <laughs> Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? I probably wouldn't put John on our church's welcoming team. <laughs> uh, but he's not giving a model for how to welcome people to church, of course, thankfully. Uh, there's a reason he talks like this, right? There's a reason he talks like this. He knows that these guys who are coming, they're religious hypocrites. They talk about repentance, but it has no impact on their lives. Uh, they're clinging on to their pedigree. They think that just because they're a part of Abraham's family, the Jewish nation, that just makes them automatically all good with God, regardless of how they live. So John calls, calls them, he says in verse 8, he says... <sighs> He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't just say you repent and not, and not mean anything. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And in verse 9, don't, say, don't think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. 
I tell you, that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. See what John's saying here. And, and he goes on and speaks in the most strongest, confronting, urgent way. This coming kingdom that he's preparing people for will, will bring with it a purifying fire. The judgment of God on proud and fruitless humanity. Verse 10, he says, the axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruits will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What, what John exposes is that our problem is too deep. Our problem is too deep to be fixed by a little religious activity. Uh, we actually we need a radical, deep transformation from the inside out. Um, so your family heritage isn't the answer. Uh, fixing up the outside isn't the answer. And actually, John knows that he's not the answer either. He's not the answer either. He knows that on its own, his baptism, his call for repentance, on its own, that's not even enough either. You see, he, John is pointing, he's pointing to the one who can actually change people's hearts. Uh, the one in verse 11 who is greater than him. The one who will come and baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Uh, you see, with the water of John's baptism, it didn't actually clean anyone's hearts. But this coming one will do what that pointed towards. <laughs> He will actually cleanse people from the inside out. And he will be the one holding the axe. Uh, he will be the judge. Although the image shifts in verse 12 to a winnowing fork. There should be a picture coming up. Um, a huge pitchfork that you stick into a pile of grain. Uh, you chuck it up in the air. The useless bits, the chaff, float away and the grain, the good grain, falls down. That's the basic idea. Uh, and so you'd separate the chaff from the wheat. You could gather up the chaff, uh, the wheat, and the chaff would be burned. Well, John's saying this coming kingdom, this kingdom of God's rule, is a kingdom that's incompatible with sin. It's the kingdom of love and light and righteousness and truth. And those who live in disconnection and darkness, who have turned away from God as their life source, just have no place there. Well, friends, what do we make of all this? You see, the sobering reality is that on our own, where would we be if we were thrown up into the air by Jesus' winnowing fork? On our own, where would we? Well, none of us actually would fall down with the grain. Um, all of us would be blown away and burned up with the chaff. That is the long and sorry story of the Old Testament. And if we're honest, that's the story of our own lives. See, John's baptism isn't enough. And friends, that's why the end of chapter 3 is so glorious and so wonderful and beautiful. You see, John tells us what to turn from. But Jesus shows us what to turn to. Or much better, perhaps, who to turn to. And he is wonderful. Uh, you see, finally the moment arrives... The, the one John is talking about, he steps onto the scene. Uh, Jesus comes. 
He comes as the one who's going to bring about this kingdom of heaven. He comes in verse 13 to John at the River Jordan, and he comes to... How would you finish that sentence? Uh, He comes... How would you finish that? Well, I think what John's expecting, and perhaps what I would expect, is he comes with his winnowing fork in his hand. He comes to judge. He comes swinging his axe. (laughs) That's what John expects... But that's not what Jesus does. And this is just, I mean, it's so shocking that John can't believe it. That's why, could you, do you get to pick up the sense of, like, he just knows it's totally not right for Jesus to be baptised by him. Uh, Jesus, Jesus comes not to, sw- uh, to swing the axe or to throw the, use his pitchfork, his winnowing fork. Jesus comes to be baptised. And you think, what is going on? These people who are coming to be baptised are sinners who need cleansing. This is a bunch of failures. And here's the Lord of heaven and earth. God himself lining up in the queue to take a bath with all the sinners. All along with the rest of them. I mean... Just imagine for a moment Jesus had a PR team and they're kind of talking right away in the background and thinking, Jesus, what, what are you doing? This is really bad for your image. Uh, it's going to look like you're a sinner. And, you know, that's, that's not really a great start to this kingdom you're setting up. Can you get a sense of the bizarre nature of what's going on here? Um, see, you and I actually are sinners. We actually are sinners. And we spend so much energy, don't we? We spend so much energy trying to convince the world and even ourselves that we're not, that we're really okay, that we're really righteous, that we spend so much energy doing that, right? And here is the only one who actually is righteous. And he doesn't care if people think he's a sinner. Jesus is so wonderful, isn't he? What's going on here? Well, John can't believe it. He needs to be washed by Jesus, not Jesus washed by him. Well, you remember how baptism is, is about identifying yourself with something. And in this moment, Jesus, what Jesus is doing here is he's saying that he has come to identify with sinful humanity. He has come to join us where we are. We're stuck in a deep, muddy, black hole, and Jesus doesn't just throw a rope down and tell us to climb out. He jumps right down to the depths and gets himself dirty so he can lift us up and drag us out and pick us up. And do you notice there at the end of that passage, this isn't just Jesus' idea either. It is the sovereign plan of the one true God. That's what you see as the chapter closes. Uh, As Jesus comes up out of the water, heaven gets opened. And in the Bible, when heaven's opened, uh, when heaven gets opened, it's a way of talking about reality being revealed. Here's what's really real. Here's the reality underlining and uh, above and throughout the universe. Here's what's really real. He comes up out of the water, heaven's opened, the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove, and the voice of God the Father declares to the world, this is my Son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So what is this? 
What is the reality uh, underneath and above and behind everything? It is the Father loving his Son in the joy of the Holy Spirit. At the heart of reality is a divine community of love, the God who is Trinity, one God in three persons. So in Jesus' baptism, this sovereign God, this God of love, binds himself to humanity. But he also binds humanity to himself. So here's kind of a big idea. There's lots going on there, but here's a big idea here. Uh, What Jesus is saying here is that he's saying, I'm joining you in your failure so that you can join me in my family. I'm joining you in your failure so that you can join me in my family. Jesus joins us in our darkness. And what, what we're going to see as we read through Matthew's Gospel is that at every point where we fail, he wins. Uh, next week we'll read about how he fails. Um, he beats temptation and sickness and the forces of evil. And as Matthew's Gospel goes on, we find out he identifies so much with us that he even dies our death and places himself under the axe and takes that fire of judgment on the cross on himself and even there he wins he rises from the grave and defeats death well that's all to come in matthew Uh, But friends, there's so many huge things in this passage. I just want to sort of wrap things up by focusing in on two of them. Two things, two realities that mean that whoever you are, wherever you are at, you can have a fresh start, a new beginning with God. Uh, The two things are, well, the first one is repentance. Repent. We need to hear God's call to repent. Um, have you repented? Um, I don't, that doesn't mean uh, have you said that you have repented, but really, have you got honest about the darkness inside your own hearts? Real repentance is going to bring fruits. It will, it'll, it'll flow out in the light of the gospel, and we'll get to that in a moment, but it'll flow out in a changed life. So there's a, there is actually a warning here for churchgoers, for religious people who say all the right things, but whose hearts can be as far from God as those Pharisees. So, friends, I want to urge you today please, not to leave today without repenting, without confessing your sins openly before God. We're going to have a chance to do that together soon. I'll, I'll lead us in a time of prayer where you can, uh, in your own heart, join with me. Uh, If you're investigating Jesus and want to be his person, that's the first step to take. If you're already Jesus' person, repentance isn't something you do once and forget about. It is an ongoing posture that we all, uh, that should shape our whole life, a posture of humility and reality about the sin which, although you are in Christ, you... Uh, still commits in this age before he returns. So repent, and friends, we need to hear the urgency of this call. 
uh, the Bible says Jesus will return. And the kingdom he set up in his first coming is going to become all in all. And on that day, he will clear his threshing floor. He will gather up his wheat, but he will also burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And he urges you now, today, while there is still time, to repent. To get honest and to turn from your sin. But friends, remember what we talked about before. Repentance in its own in itself is only one John that is only one side of the coin. It only gets us halfway. You see, repentance has to go along with the other side of the coin, which is faith. Repentance goes along with faith. Repentance turns from the darkness inside of ourselves. And faith turns us to the light that is outside of ourselves. Faith turns us to the one who has come to us and who lifts us up. It turns us to Jesus, our champion. And faith means that we can repent joyfully, even. <laughs> we can repent safely. It means that we don't need to... We, see, we don't turn from our sin to ourselves, we don't turn from our sin to our own resolve to fix ourselves up. We turn from our sin to our Saviour. We throw ourselves on him. We throw ourselves on him. We, we declare the truth that it's no longer I who live, but Christ, the perfect Son. It's Christ who lives in me and who by his Spirit is changing me little by little every day. He's my champion. And he enables me and empowers me to to get honest and repent and gives me that fruit by his spirit to live that out. And when I fail, his gospel tells me to keep running back to him, to keep depending on him. And friends, that makes all the difference. I, I'm going to pray now. I'm going to pray and I want to invite you to join with me uh, wherever you're at, actually, and to make this a prayer. Just not out loud, but in the quietness of your own hearts. I'll leave a bit of time after each line and perhaps uh, this is an opportunity for you to to kind of do do that business with God I guess to uh, yourself uh, let down the walls um, to confess your sin to him and to hear his wonderful news of the gospel so let me do that for us let me lead us in prayer let's pray Oh, great God, I admit and confess the darkness that is in my own heart. Please, God, strip my pride and my self-defense. Keep me from that kind of hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he lived and died and rose again in my place so that I could be forgiven and have new life. What love, my God, would bring you down to earth? What king would take a low and lonely birth? Yet to this dark and broken place, you came 
to sleep beneath the stars that you had made. Thank you for Jesus. I turn from my sin and I turn to Christ. By your spirit, enable me to trust him. Change me from the inside out so that I can joyfully bear good fruit for your kingdom. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.